Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's two o'clock on Tuesday. This is the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, your host. We have a guest today that's from the other coast. We're in Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains, and she's out there on the other coast in a country called California. And she's in the northern part of that, and it's actually a nice weather there. It's not hot like it is in the south. Um, we have a really good topic today that I know a lot of people are interested in. It's leading teams to outline fundraising overnight, to online fundraising. Sorry, can't read my own writing. So it's online fundraising. It's a specific discipline, and our guest knows a lot about it, and she'll be sharing with us today. So let me ask uh, Megan Anhalt, uh, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, and please tell people a little bit about yourself and why do you do this work? What is your passion? Yeah, definitely. So hi, I'm Megan. Really nice to meet everyone uh, and be here today. So uh, why am I excited about this work? Well, I've been really passionate about social causes and being able to move the needle and engage communities in those causes uh, for the entirety of my career. I actually I started my career in the very beginning in the entertainment industry and really using TV shows and online media uh, to be able to engage communities. And one of the things that I was really excited about uh, as you know, you're trying to engage a younger generation, people really care uh, about causes and they want to support brands and organizations um, that actually have a specific social purpose. Uh, and so that was sort of the initial part of my work uh, and have carried that through working with nonprofits, foundations, companies, uh, and others to really think about how you can motivate uh, people to create impact uh, and be a part of these causes uh, through content uh, and different and different tactics. And so a big piece of that has always been digital media and digital communications. And so um, I have really spent a lot of my time thinking about how you can leverage online fundraising tactics uh, to be able to engage people and nurture donors um, and be able to raise money. Wow, you said a lot in a very short period of time. Very <laughs> good for you. Good for you. And, and so um, where you hang your hat in the daytime, at least <laughs> maybe virtually, it's um, a place called Whole Whale. And people can find Whole Whale at uh, Whole, W-H-O-L-E, in case you want to know how that's spelled. W I, got to, I have to have things spelled for me. W-H-O-L-E, W-H-A-L-E, wholewhale.com. And just a lovely bunch of, bunch of folks on the cover. And, and so that's, that's your, um, that's where you're, that's what you're doing in the daytime. You help people learn about digital marketing and digital fundraising. So let's start at the beginning. Um, a lot of people have been doing a lot of things with uh, fundraising and running organizations and trying to make ends meet, but they used to putting things in the mail and sending them out to people. And there's a whole new world available to us. And, um, why? Tell us about digital marketing and digital fundraising. Just set the stage. What does that look like and, and how does it happen? And is there a variety of ways that that happens? 
Yeah, so oftentimes when people think about fundraising, they think of sort of old school appeals, uh, maybe mail-in appeals where you got an envelope and someone asked for money and you put a, a direct cash or a check in that envelope and mail it back to the organizations. And, you know, over the last you know 20 or 30 years, online fundraising has really been a key growth opportunity for a lot of these organizations. Uh, a recent survey from 2018 found that Today, across all generations, from millennials to older, uh, you know, boomers and older folks as well, um, that everyone prefers uh, to sort of give online, uh, and so it's be become a big growing opportunity. And one of the key motivators in online giving are things like email, uh, which most uh, sort of organizations are pretty adept at at this time. But there's a lot of other elements that can go into online fundraising and digital marketing, uh, and so I'm excited to talk about just the wide variety of different pieces there um, that you should be thinking about. So you said people want to give online. Now, you might have noticed that I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> and, and a lot of my, there's, there's a general assumption um, in nonprofit world, church world, that um, older people are not technically savvy. They don't trust online giving and they don't trust their credit card and they don't have the equipment. I think that's a bunch of bahooey, bunch of hooey. So speak to the uh, is this multi-generational? When you said people prefer to give online, is this multi-generational now? Yeah, so there was a 2018 Global Trends in Giving report, um, and it sort of looked at what are the means and the means of which people prefer to give. And so looking at baby boomers specifically, um, the nice. highest preferred method was online with 54%. It did have a higher percentage of direct mail, so direct mail didn't even sort of show up in the survey for Gen X donors and millennial donors, but even still that was only 20% or 19%. So um, obviously online giving is a really critical opportunity across all of those generations. Wow, so, so um, how does digital giving happen? What are the different ways people can plug in? I always think of, oh, I'm gonna go PayPal and I've got an account and I'm gonna, send the money somewhere and I've got to fill in all these blanks. So tell me what the experience is like and are there different methodologies for, let's talk about the, the giving piece first and then what's the part from the nonprofit to push out their message digitally. So first talk about the different ways that, that nonprofits can accept the gifts first. Yeah, so I would say probably the most common is having a donation page on your website, uh, and usually you have some kind of security, uh, depending on what donation online donation platform you might be using. There's so many out there, so I won't go into all of the different details, but uh, we do like one called Give Lively just because it's free, because it's funded, uh, and so that's a great tool if you're not currently using an online giving platform. What's that one called? Give that? Lively. Give Lively, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we like them a lot uh, because they are free uh, and they're just a great tool and provide a lot of different opportunities. But no matter what on sort of online fundraising platform that you're using, most organizations have a sort of standard donate page that's linked to from their homepage where people can give. Uh, as you start to look into more sort of advanced online fundraising and online giving tactics, uh, we recommend using sort of campaign specific landing pages. So not just having one central donate page, but individual donation pages, depending on sort of if you're running a particular end of your giving appeal or maybe a campaign for your awareness month. And so being able to leverage sort of created pages um, that allow for more customization around specific asks and specific opportunities that can help inspire people to give. 
So when you say free, it's free to use the tool, but there's still a credit card processing fee. Yes, it's one of the lowest ones that's available though. So um, there's been a real um, flurry of interest in crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And I think there's hundreds of crowdfunding sites. And my question is how much of my dollar actually ends up in the bank account of the charity? There's, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of fear about how much money comes out of my donation. So speak to how we can help. So maybe the one you're talking about is one of the most lean methodologies because people like me want their money to go to the charity. Yeah, of course. And I think that's something that's pretty consistent across a lot of different donors. And so unfortunately, there's not one answer to that question. It really depends on what platform organizations are using. And so you always want to do your research and understand sort of what those fees are. Uh, I will say uh, one of the most popular um, sort of peer-to-peer -peer fundraising platforms is actually Facebook. Uh, and Facebook does not charge a fee for those donations. So um, every donation that someone gives on Facebook is transferred to the organization in full. Now the catch with doing online fundraising through Facebook is that you might not get as much donor information in terms of email and who's giving uh, and those types of things, which are also really important uh, for organizations who are running sort of successful online fundraising programs over time. But um, one of the good things there is that it is in fact free. Uh, and so if you are donating through Facebook or if someone has a birthday fundraiser, one of your friends wants to donate their birthday to a particular cause and you're sort of donating directly to that, the organization will see that full donation. It takes a little bit of time, uh, but, but you will see it. It takes a little bit of time. Yeah, I was going to note that. So the, uh, <laughs> depending on how you set it up and the size of your campaign, you won't really see the dollars for a while. And so um, let's talk about the other side of this. We want to push out a message to people to let them know what you're doing, why it's important, and why they should support your organization. So how do, how do organizations send out their messages and how do they write the correct message for people to understand? Because I understand that a confused message does not get much support. A confused mind says no. I don't want it. So, so what are the, what are the, what's the advice you would give people about creating their messages and how do we push those out digitally to people? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And so we believe in every successful fundraising program uh, needs to build what we call an aware to care cycle. So how you're sort of increasing attention uh, of potential supporters to grow your sort of donor and supporter pipeline and then how you're actually converting new supporters from being aware of your cause and organization to actually being interested in it, to being engaged uh, and finally committed through the form of recurring donations uh, year after year or even month after month if you have a monthly donor program. And so donations like any donor relationships, like any other relationship we see as a form of commitment. <laughs> and so if I were to ask you to marry me now, we just met before here, you'd probably be like, ah, no, I wanna get to know you a little bit. And we think of donations sort of working in the same way. You have to kind of nurture that relationship, go on a few dates, send a few emails, and be able to build that. Now, it's not to say you can't, with an initial ask, sort of ask for money out the gate. That's fine. But if you're really looking at building sort of recurring donors and supporters over time, you want to make sure that you're sort of nurturing that relationship. And there's, turns out there's a lot of ways uh, to nurture donors online. Well, let's unpack that. So aware to care. So, so you've, you've given us a number of things to talk about. So let's unpack those steps. So we're, 
um, you're not going to ask me to marry me because my wife wouldn't <laughs> let me marry you anyway. <laughs> so, so that is a good that is a good analogy. Hi, my name's Hugh. Would you marry me? No. <laughs> and and our donors are not ATMs either. We don't put in a number exactly. and say spit it out. So we are real people and we have real feelings and we do create real relationships. So talk about, is this a where to care something you do with your work? Yeah, exactly. So as we were just talking about, fundraising doesn't begin or end with giving money. Uh, you have to build that like a donor nurture program and keep those relationships warm over time. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, one, uh, in the, as we we're talking about, kind of the big one that everyone talks about in online fundraising is email. Uh, and email is really a tremendous owned channel asset that allows you to communicate with and further engage your supporters in this way. And so as you're thinking about sort of ways in which you can um, utilize email, you'd want to make sure you're not just sending appeal after appeal after appeal, because if you're on the other end of that, it's not a really fun thing to be a part of, to just have someone asking you for money all the time. And so you really have to think about how you're delivering value via email. Uh, so that includes things like, um, you know, helping supporters be a part of your impact journey. They want to help you create change uh, in your issue. They want to be there to celebrate any wins that you might have. Or if you're, there's moments or campaigns or opportunities where their actions or their involvement can make a difference, they want to know about those. Uh, and so email can be a great way to sort of create those moments um, to nurture people over time. So... The email open rate is not as good as it used to be. Mm -hmm. and, and I find that there's a lot of email that go into people's junk or spam folder. Um, and there's also this um, personal contact thing, which we haven't had much of lately. Um, so we're, we're um, actually physical distance from each other. We're more social than ever, but we're physically distanced. But we do, I've had um, calls from organizations I support saying, just calling you to check in, let you know we're still working, we're still doing the work, and we appreciate your support. Um, so um, there's, there's somebody on the call here that I'll let ask questions in a minute. We have some folks, if it's okay, I'll bring them in later and let them ask some questions. Um, but he said one of the big national organizations called him and said, I see you're donating $30 a month, why don't you raise it to 37? Well, not how are you doing, thank you for your support, this is the good stuff we've done. And it was a major organization. To me, that's a big misstep because yeah. there's a relationship with your, with, I, I, can we call them supporters? Because they give you time, talent, and their money. Mm -hmm. and, and so um, the supporters would support you in a lot of ways. So talk about, well, so the email is certainly a valid, a valid communication form, but are there some others too? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. And especially right now, um, you see a lot of opportunity for people to actually have that engagement. And so I think using things like the tool we're using now, Zoom, and setting up conversations to get feedback on different things that you might be doing and just creating those opportunities for people uh, to be able to weigh in uh, and be a part of things. You can also do online surveys. Online surveys can actually be a really great way for people to feel like their voice is being heard um, as it relates to an organization and different activities and campaigns that you might be running. And that act of even just taking a survey helps build that commitment and that connection with the organization because it helps sort of build that online alignment uh, in terms of what what the shared goals that you have. So what kind of things do you ask people on a, a survey or an assessment or an opinion poll? What kind of things would you ask people? 
Yeah, you can. So it depends on the age of the different organizations that you might be working with. But one of the things you can say is something like, you know, to what extent do you believe, the, um, do you agree with these statements? And so that actually creates a psychological affirmation of I am the type of person that believes in these things. And if you're an organization that is working really hard to move the needle on those issues, then it creates um, a sort of added commitment of those supporters to the cause and the work that you're doing. So what about um, the telephone? Mm -hmm. How does that work? And do you use, um, we could, there's texting programs, there's the old let's talk to people by the phone. Some groups are starting to meet in s small numbers in person now. And then we have email. Um, so can you combine several methodologies and how does that uh, impact the effectiveness of it? Yeah, yeah, of course. So one of the things that you can do with phones specifically is texting, especially if you are have a younger supporter base or are impacting maybe teens or people in their 20s or 30s, then um, you can create a text-based program, which can be another way similar to email uh, that you can engage people and keep them up to date on the latest activities or campaigns that you might be running. Uh, and Texts have a really high open rate. So you mentioned the e sort of lower diminishing email open rate over time, uh, but email still continues to be a really effective tool. I do wanna make that, uh, like it's still uh, one of the biggest drivers in online fundraising. So uh, I wouldn't minimize sort of the impact of that tool. But another thing you can do with phone is we actually worked with one organization that had a call in line uh, and we actually ran online ads, so they were search ads. Uh, to direct to call. And so if people were in crisis or needed help, they could click those ads and it would immediately connect their phone um, to to call in to that those lines. So there's a lot of different ways that you could sort of blend across these different channels depending on what activities that you're doing. Yeah, because some people, there's just a lot of people that are I feel isolated, especially right now. Mm -hmm. uh, people might be listening to this podcast years later, but we're talking um, about digital fundraising several months into the COVID-19 pandemic and people are feeling the effects of being home too much and being shut in and actually some distress over, over being separated. So I'm thinking that to supplement some of these things with a, with a personalized phone call um, might have great impact. So, um, so I think it's more than one methodology. And I think we really need to acknowledge the people who've given us money. And, mm -hmm. and so how do you find that acknowledging and what you just spoke about, this is what we're working on, this is what's happening, how does that impact the continuing giving and maybe an increase in giving? Yeah, I think it's super critical uh, that you are thanking your donors. And we like to talk about thanking your donors four or more times uh, because Ooh, there should be four, that. Four, four or more times. And it's a lot of people <laughs> can think, oh, that's so many. How would I do that? But it's actually not very difficult. So the first time is right when they give. So if they're going online and they're giving, the thank you page is the confirmation page that pops up um, to say, thank you for your donation. We received it. You know, this is the great work that we're doing. The second can be in an automated email that goes out directly to that donor. Uh, once they've sort of signed, they've given that donation that um, says thank you in your their email address, you know, confirming that we received your donat donation hopefully potentially an opt-in to your email newsletter to find out more about the great work that you're doing. And so that can be an important opportunity. And then you can also set up automations. Uh, so in the first 30 days, really there's 30 to 45 days is really a critical window 
for new subscribers and new supporters uh, to continue to engage them. So we believe in using a welcome series. Um, so that's the first email, it's the thank you email. And then you can set up an automated email series depending on what email program that you're using to send out sort of three to four additional emails over the course of those next 30 to 45 days that can include things like here's what our organization is doing here's some latest news of a great big win that we've had in this issue space here's a story of an impacted supporter or an impacted community or the work that we're doing uh, and then you can also uh, include a recurring donation ask in that period uh, and in that way you can also thank them again uh, for the, in their donation and be able to share the impact that that donation has relative to the broader organizational goals. I keep, you say a lot of great stuff. And it, prompts, <laughs> it prompts some other questions. So um, that four-step process is really good. And um, is that somewhere on the wholewhale.com? Is that somewhere on your website? Or um, I, we will have it in the notes here. This, this interview will be transcribed, so that'll mm -hmm. be in the notes here. But is that somewhere on, can we find that on the wholewhale.com? Yeah, we are actually launching a new online fundraising course uh, through our Howell University, which is like an on-demand training platform, and that we go into detail about the sort of four or more thanking your donors, as well as a lot of the other tactics that we've been talking about. So could I put your work email on the site so if people had questions about that, they could send you a question? Yeah, definitely. And it's just howell.com slash university. Okay. But then if they wanted to talk, is there some communication form on there that people can touch mm -hmm. base with you? Okay. So um, we're giving people a whole lot of data. I want to make sure that people <laughs> can sort it out later. Um, even though we have it transcribed here, there's just a lot that you're saying that's critical to the sustained financial health of an organization. Um, so I want to talk about um, database. Now, I'm surprised. I've worked with nonprofit leaders and boards and uh, leadership and organizational development and strategic planning, which are all the prerequisites to be fundable. You know, if you don't have an active board, you don't have really clear value statement and a real clear statement of the impact you're having, people are less likely unless they just like you, which, you know, might be small number. <laughs> They're likely to part with their, that's less likely to part with their money. Um, and are confused to why they should support you. But you talked about multiple touch points. Now, I'm surprised in the 32 years I've worked with leaders, how few organizations have a communications person that's either on the board or on the staff or in the volunteer pool that just manages communications. And in 32 years, every organization I've worked with has listed communications as the top issue that they face, lack thereof. And so it's really important to manage, number one, internal communications, but then external outward messaging. Mm -hmm. But then you have this whole other segment you've talked about is donor management. So do you recommend people have a database? You mentioned email programs and that for small lists would serve like a database, but do you recommend using a database? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on each of the organizations and like how in depth that goes. So whether you need something like Salesforce or if you're just using sort of MailChimp, uh, we recommend all of them depending on the specific organization's um, individual goals and the size of your audience, but certainly recommend um, building out an email list uh, and really thinking about potential va uh, variants of that email list as well. So you might have an email list of supporters and donors, you might have an email list of sort of insiders or advisors, uh, and really thinking about how you are communicating to each of those different audiences in a, in a specific way. 
And you got your whales. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You made, you made those your... big, big donors, high net worth donors, or we, we call whales. <laughs> yeah. So that was a little slip there for your brand. Okay. So what's really working best in digital fundraising right now? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, I think one of the most, I don't know if it's necessarily what's working best, but I think one of the interesting trends uh, in online fundraising at the moment is just the shift uh, in social media and how we think about social engagement platforms, and particularly over the last sort of 10, 10 years or so. Uh, and when all those platforms initially started, they were a great opportunity for organizations to build community networks. In some ways, social media sort of took the place of email, ongoing sort of email engagement where people were posting daily, regularly to engage their communities there on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and I think the reality is that over time, organizations have seen a pretty steady decline uh, in what that actual online engagement actually looks like on those platforms. And so that's kind of why I emphasize email again and making sure that you are sort of pulling your your supporters off of that platform into these other channels that organizations have some better control over. Um, so that email is a great one because you are able to sort of control the level that you communicate and it's not you know, controlled by Mark Zuckerberg and the whims of the algorithm and whether your posts are being shown uh, to, to those supporters. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people giving up that because they're so frustrated with all of those, mm -hmm. um, those things going on and how toxic the comments are and the behaviors are. And so I don't think I see any difference in how you engage with people on social media than what you said just, just a while ago about, you know, the touch points with people. Right. It's, it's, it's people talking to people. Yeah. The difference with, so Facebook today, any organic post that you put out there is only shown to about 4% of your fans of your page. Wow. So now the plus side of that is any of your posts are like the majority of people who are actually seeing those posts are not fans of your page. So that's good. Uh, but even just thinking about sort of that, those are really low numbers and those have gone down over the years and so we really think of social platforms today not so much social community platforms but more advertising platforms which is what they are uh, and facebook has a really powerful advertising platform that enables you to reach the very specific audience or community that you're trying to reach in a pretty low cost way uh, and so really just starting to sort of shift the thinking of what these platforms are um, to in how you use them. And so we definitely recommend using Facebook and Twitter uh, as advertising platforms to reach those communities. And you can do that. You don't have to spend a ton of money, which is great about sort of how the advertising world has shifted over the years. For as little as $100 a month, you could uh, you know, get new people to your email list or drive one of your campaign actions or do a fundraising appeal. Uh, and so you know, it doesn't require a lot of money to be able to leverage those platforms, but it does is it increasingly requiring some money? Great. You just answered my second well-crafted question. So, so um, we, it does make sense then for nonprofits to advertise, but really there's a very special way to do that. I mean, you just don't just throw something out there and something happens. So it's, it's really, it's really important. I'm trying to find my questions other oh, there. It's really important to have some guidance. And so glad I know somebody like you has got expertise <laughs> in that. Um, so if I were going to hire somebody, the center vision is a 501c3 um, organization. So if I was going to hire somebody, 
to do digital fundraising. Um, how would I do that? And does it make sense for me to get somebody else to do it than me to try to figure it out myself? Yeah, it depends on the organization, your size and capabilities. Uh, we certainly recommend having some in-house digital fundraising uh, capacity for pretty much any organization at any size. Uh, and then you could obviously sort of leverage agencies like Whole Whale or other partners, contractors uh, to sort of offset some of the day-to-day -day implementation of those strategies. Uh, and so in terms of skills that I would be looking for if I were sort of trying to build out a digital fundraising program, uh, one of the key ones that we talked about is email. So not just being able to write email fundraising appeals, but also being able to deliver value email, uh, deliver value via email, uh, as we talked about before. So that's sort of being able to create a variety of different posts and content um, that to build those relationships over time. Uh, another is actually knowing their way around these email management systems themselves. Uh, and so being able to set up things like email automations, welcome series, uh, all of those pieces. Uh, and then the other piece, which we didn't spend as much time talking about, but I also think is really important here, is understanding how you actually grow an email list um, and do that through email acquisition and particularly creating conversion opportunities on your website. So things like email pop-ups, um, you know, different sort of inline email appeals and really thinking about how you turn and convert that attention and that traffic that you're getting to your site to supporters uh, in the form of kind of the first step there is getting them to sign up for your email list. So that's kind of, if I'm looking at an email hire for fundraising, that would be a big piece. That's a really important piece of it. I, um, I, there's a lot of people that do pretty websites and I call them propeller heads. They just do the technology <laughs> part. They don't do the conversion part. And one of the big, I learned this from somebody else, but one of the big um, sayings is people say, I had so many hits on my website. And I said, hits is an acronym for how idiots <laughs> track success. Um, thank you, Tom Antion. So you don't care how many people come, you care how many people do something like sign up for your list. So talk about acquisition. That's a big deal. Um, and how to acquire the names for your list and then how to make sure they open the emails and then how to make sure they stay on your list. So we can get a lot of people, but they can drop off if we don't treat them nice. Yeah, and that kind of leads into the next skill that I was gonna mention, which is actually understanding web analytics. Um, Cause we think that like, having a really strong foundation of analytics tracking is critical to at the end of the day, actually knowing whether the efforts that you're putting into your digital fundraising are actually working. Uh, and being able to identify which of those efforts are actually the most effective in driving donor conversions, driving clicks um, in each of those pieces. So having a strong foundation in analytics, which we believe starts with setting up Google Analytics, leveraging Google Tag Manager, so you can sort of track key events uh, and things that are happening on your site. Uh, and each of these are sort of really critical, um, things like tracking key actions, like video views or form completions, um, time on site, all of that can be sort of configured through Google Analytics uh, and Google Tag Manager. Uh, and then also using things like tagged URLs uh, in your emails, your social posts, uh, your advertising content. So you actually know when you're posting that content, what is actually leading people back to your site, maybe leading people to your donation page. So really thinking about sort of all aspects um, of your, your, founda um, your foundation for analytics on your site. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of boomers out there looking real cross-eyed right now. <laughs> that, those are very high level skills. Now, um, 
I have hired people in the past to set up uh, AdWords campaign and they started driving a lot of traffic. But when I started digging in, it wasn't relevant traffic. Mm -hmm. And so I've cleansed it and cut down from 17,000 and something uh, combinations of keywords and then focus on the ones that I get the most traffic. And you and I were talking before we went live that I don't get a lot of people searching for funding, um, even though that's some of the keywords I put out there. But there is a lot of traffic that people are searching for sources of funding. So let's let's unpack some of what you said a minute. Um, tagging. What does a tag mean? Yeah, a tag is just um, basically the little added stuff that goes on the end of your URL so that when your Google Analytics is reading those, those clicks, they can recognize the traffic source and where it's coming from. And that that helps you over the long term. You're actually training Google to send things people to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have, um, I believe we have tools on our site that help you create those sort of tagged URLs. Really? If anyone's looking to, to create that. So I went in, I managed my AdWords now, and I've been able to target in specific areas. But the real elusive piece is the piece you were talking about is conversions. Mm -hmm. Now, you can track conversions on Analytic, but you also set up conversions on AdWords. Do those two work together? And if you set up one place, is it in the other one? Um, or do you need somebody above my pay grade to set that up? Well, the good thing is the Google Ads account and Google Analytics should be talking to each other because they're both owned by Google. It's not always a given, but um, it certainly can help. And so you should be able to sort of track those things uh, across different um, the different actions and things that are available. Uh, and this kind of speaks to another skill which it can sound scary, but is actually very straightforward, which is just like understanding search engine optimization and like basic SEO. And SEO is really just like a fancy term for thinking about the content that people are discovering while searching um, and how you can be the answers that they find uh, time and time again. And the Google ad grant that you mentioned, and for those that aren't familiar, this is a great program offered by Google that gives up to $10,000 in free in-kind search advertising each month uh, to qualified organizations. Uh, and this can be a great way to sort of leverage some of the these keywords that are driving a lot of the content and engagement on your site. And this is again why sort of that analytics piece is really important because if you can look at your analytics and know that, you know, these 10 or five pages on your site are actually converting the most donors or the most sort of higher level actions, mm -hmm. then you can use the ad grant to sort of drive more traffic to those pages uh, and overall increase your conversion rate. Yes, that is so critical. And so I'm even amazed that people put photos on their website and they don't put in the description, the alt tag with something that Google can read and recognize mm -hmm. that's relevant to your name or your website. And even the file name for the picture should have a name on it or, or something relevant. So I'm, even people that are good at this don't do that. Those even little things besides the relevant copy, besides the megadata and the tags, you know, there's so many ways that you need to have this all coordinated. And then it, that really complements what you're doing with the search engines in your online marketing, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people are like, wait, wait a minute, why are we talking about SEO? I thought we were here to talk about online fundraising. I don't understand how these things are connected, but they really are. Because if we go back to sort of that aware to care cycle that we were talking about, as you're sort of getting people to be aware of your organization and aware of the content and value that you're providing, you want to then be able to convert them. So you're driving that traffic through things like SEO and the Google Ad Grant. 
you're converting them through the email acquisition piece and then you get them into that sort of donor nurture pipeline which leads them to become donors but then once they give once that doesn't mean that you're done there you kind of have to continue to um, capture their attention uh, and build that relationship so it all it all fits together i promise <laughs> well and thank you for highlighting that because these are all <laughs> these are all pieces of the puzzle but what you're emphasizing is it's all got to be in a, in a master plan Mm-hmm. Every piece of this is in a plan. Is somebody has to manage that plan. Yep. You set it up and don't let it just run. You got to manage it, see how it's working. And there's some personal interaction along the way that's so critical. I mean, we want to be some of the companies I work with on my commercial customers are are high tech companies, and they're the least skilled at one to one communications. <laughs> you know, they text somebody in the next cubicle. So we really can't depend on that only. We, so that's, it's all of this holistic stuff that you're talking about that's so critical. I appreciate you highlighting that. And that's why having um, a professional like you to help us think through all the components and then how to manage that. And it really seems overwhelming, but it's not. It's just putting the pieces together. And my expertise might be in feeding the poor or housing the poor or caring for people in need. My expertise is not in running an organization. So I was talking about outsourcing. So we need to interview somebody, find out what they're good at and find out how it relates to us and find out what the big picture is. So um, I got a couple more well-crafted questions here, but I'm, I'm thinking we might want to get some other questions. May I let some other people ask questions? Yes, of course. Okay, let me see, allow to talk. Okay, um, we have two professional fundraisers here. Uh, we have George and Jeffrey and Robert and Sandy. Um, uh, Robert, you've got your mic open. Robert Hopkins. Bob is a philanthropist, and you were talking about the area of philanthropy. Bob is the author of this book, uh, Philanthropy Misunderstood. Um, Bob Hopkins, do you have a question for Megan? Yeah, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm amazed um, at well, what you know. I'm really impressed. Are you a consultant or do you uh, actually work for a company? I don't remember what that was in the introduction. Yeah, I am the COO of Whole Whale. We're a social impact digital agency that does digital marketing for nonprofits. Okay, so you hire out, is that right? Yeah, we work directly with organizations to support them on everything from digital fundraising, SEO, analytics, sort of every piece that I've mentioned today. So uh, what about Instagram? I mean, not, not Instagram, what about uh, LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Uh, or fundraising is that a is that a tool is that a good tool yeah so i actually have an article on our site specifically about leveraging linkedin uh, for organizations and i think the key with linkedin is not to rely heavily on your actually organization pages but actually leverage the leadership and the individual profiles of people uh, in your organization that can include your executive director your uh, board members anyone that sort of has an existing network, uh, because the key with LinkedIn is that it's a network community of professionals. Uh, and so the people that are sort of following along with the work that you're doing there uh, are gonna be interested at that sort of level. Uh, and so we haven't been able, I'm saying from a fundraising standpoint, I haven't seen it be the most successful channel, though that is sort of dependent on uh, what your organization does and sort of how it falls into the spectrum of like related to workplace uh, engagement and opportunities there, which is obviously the sweet spot with LinkedIn. So uh, there's certainly a lot of opportunity there, uh, but I think the key is 
posting and leveraging individuals who have their own individual followings there versus organizationally. Okay, just one more fast question. Um, back in the old days, it used to be the man who was in control of the fundraising gifts from a household. I understand now it's the woman. Am I correct? Uh, women are involved in a high degree of purchasing decisions, yes. So therefore, <laughs> when I assume and I go to lunch because of the man, I always forget the woman. And then does, is it he who goes home and says, here's this opportunity, should we do it? Uh, and well, now because everything's happening so rapidly, people are just kind of doing stuff. So if you're talking about making it, like giving individual donations, um, a lot of those transactions are happening in real time. So there's less discussion about whether we should donate and, and just kind of donating. Do you think it's a, a couple decision or do you think one or the other is the one who makes the decisions? Uh, I think they're each individually sort of making those decisions. Okay. Uh, so let me piggyback on the LinkedIn. So I think there's an opportunity here that probably hasn't been fully explored with um, educating our board members who, if they're local professionals, they're probably mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's, I wanted to talk to you later, but let's do it now about capacity building. How do we raise our own inner capacity to do this? And I bet you 90% of the boards are under engaged. And this is probably a way they don't like asking for money, but they like maybe sending messages of good news to their contacts and maybe inviting people to be on the list. So is, is I know that works on LinkedIn, but is, I mean, uh, Facebook, but is that a potential for LinkedIn, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I am also uh, on the board of a nonprofit and one of the best ways we've found to sort of engage other board members as well is through having them post things on LinkedIn. And we've had a couple of like different fundraising opportunities. So there was um, one specific thing where it was an experience that we were fundraising around. And that was a great opportunity to sort of ask the board to post about it. Uh, and we're able to actually build that, um, raise the money um, for that experience through um, pretty much almost entirely through LinkedIn and those board posts. So really thinking about how you can engage your board. LinkedIn is a great tool for doing that. Uh, and another way you can use LinkedIn uh, with your board is if you're a development person uh, and you're trying to get access to new donors, just kind of friending your board members on LinkedIn and digging through their connections and seeing who, what buried treasure might be in there and what introductions they might be able to make because asking your board chair or you know your treasurer directly, hey, I saw you have this connection to so-and-so, um, would you mind making an introduction? You're more likely to have success with that than sort of asking them an open-ended question like, hey, who do you know and who can you connect me to? Love it. So there's a lot in how to frame the conversations, how to frame the value statement and how to frame the ask. Yeah. Oh, so that's um, that's more and more capacity building for internal uh, learning. So Bob, those are really great questions. We have um, Jeffrey, um, do you have something that you'd like to share with our guest or make a comment? Sure, why not? Um, hi, Megan, I'm glad, hi. Um, I'm glad I came on today. It's, um, it's very refreshing to hear, because um, I'm an old person too, um, <laughs> hear a young person talking about relationships and fundraising, because I think that's an area that we're, we're kind of losing control of. And uh, I think a lot of it just is a generational thing of, um, that, that old folks like us were, were connected people in a different way. And when we're going digital, I think we're losing some of that and obviously what you're doing is trying to trying to make that gap smaller 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really important that young people, and I sure hope a lot of them listen to this, because um, you know, Hugh's comment about the ATM is, um, is just so valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, fundraising has just moved into a very transactional realm. Um, and um, and that's, not, that's not the area where, where Bob and I worked. You know, we worked in relationship fundraising, and, and I'm, I'm glad to see someone in your generation that sees that as important and valuable and that you're kind of spreading it out through all the people that you're working with. Uh, it's, it's terrific and, uh, and really, really needed. Yeah, thank you. And I think it's even more critical this time of year. So as we're getting closer and closer to end of year giving, so many organizations tend to go in with that end of year appeal and those asks. Uh, and I think it's important in this like lead up period here over the next three months to really make sure that you are delivering value to those supporters and those potential donors so that they are donating because they feel a part of something, that they feel um, thanked and cared for and appreciated uh, as a donor. And so they're going to be that much more sort of inspired and motivated to give when you get to those moments. Whereas if you don't take that action over these next couple of months and you don't talk to them or communicate with them or share wins with them uh, and really have them be a part of your journey and you just come in with that ask in November and December when everyone else is coming in with their ask, you have a much uh, lower chance of being able to be successful there. Absolutely. And the people that are the most closely connected, especially dealing with what we're dealing with with the pandemic right now, mm-hmm. of, of organizations scaling back their fundraising, mm-hmm. scaling back their staff, scaling back how much they're putting into it, are those organizations are not going to be on the radar of those people when that appeal comes in. Yeah. Um, and they're either not going to get a gift at all, or they're going to get a lot less than they have in the past because somebody felt that because it's a transaction, they didn't look at it as a relationship. They looked at it as a transaction that they mm-hmm. didn't carry it forward and, and then they lose it. And that's, and that's really unfortunate. So I, I, think it's, I think it's cool that you're helping people stay on top of all of this stuff because it's just really important. It's a lot more important than a lot of people think it is. Yeah, thank Jeffrey, you, and, those, and we agree. Yes, yeah, so Jeffrey, those are really good observations. And what, what I say to my commercial, commercial accounts, which I ought to be saying to the nonprofit accounts is, okay, the economy is strange. People are cutting back on their marketing budgets. This is a time when you need to increase your marketing budget because yeah. everybody else is cutting back. So it's really important to be out there. And some people whine about, oh, you expect too much of us as leaders. You expect us to do too much and there's too much to do. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of V people, volunteers, and there's a lot of skill on your board. So people could rally around the touch points. So it's really important to be out there and being, being, um, being in touch with people. Just so you know, Megan, the last two people that spoke are professional fundraisers. They're CFRP. Um, so they, they're listening to you with great fascination and knowledge <laughs> and they, they have good questions. So Jeffrey, thank you for being here today. Sure. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm here. Uh, so Robert has a, uh, George has a question. Um, George, you write really good questions, by the way. Um, and you want to, you want to ask it in person? You want me to read it? I'll let you do the honors. <laughs> That's a sweet kid you got there. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not be watching them right now, so I appreciate you taking the lead. 
Um, what advice do you have for nonprofits that are moving traditional galas online coming up in the fall? There's a whole bunch of them that normally happen in person and people spend a lot of money on them. And sometimes they don't end up with a lot to net gain from those. So what advice do you have as they're moving those online? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's certainly something that's super top of mind for a lot of organizations and especially organizations that have relied really heavily. And actually the organization that I mentioned um, that I'm on the board of, Art in Action, also actually all of this broke. Their typical gala happens in March uh, and it didn't happen this year, um, was canceled because um, obviously the pandemic and everything with coronavirus. And so this is something that's hitting, a, you know, pretty much every organization that does this sort of in-person event fundraising this year. And uh, it's a, actually a really good opportunity for these organizations to sort of rethink how their approach uh, to getting that money. Uh, and so one of the things you can first look at is one, just being really upfront with your supporters and your donors about the circumstances. Uh, and this was something that Art in Action did, which I really appreciated, which was like, hey, you know, here's the impact of this change. Uh, here's what's happening. We're canceling this event. Um, here is the value that we usually get from this event. Here is how that those dollars impact the organization and the work that we're able to do with that. And so just being sort of very upfront about that and offering that appeal. Um, and they were actually able to raise more money than we were projecting for the event just by being upfront with those asks to their donors online. Uh, and then you can also look at sort of other tactics, things like, you know, online auctions. Uh, there's so many different uh, opportunities out there. And we actually have an article about this as well on our uh, website that I'm happy to sort of share in the follow up uh, with some specific ideas of ways that you can sort of shift to that um, online uh, event op opportunity. So Megan, after this interview, if you send me a couple of links to information places, we're supposed to only say for more information, go to wholewheel.com. Um, as a nonprofit, that's our, uh, not a call to action, but for more information. But um, there's some resources that are free that you have there that would be really good uh, for people to have. So a couple of uh, questions. We've, we've got about nine minutes left in our time here. So I spoke a little bit about building capacity, and that's kind of a buzzword is board capacity building and organizational capacity building. We need to be better at doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's the whole nature of capacity building. So how can we build more capacity around this whole topic that you've been talking about so eloquently today? How do we do that? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways to train your team to improve their sort of online fundraising prowess. Uh, I think the best way to skill your team up is through online courses and certifications. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Whole Whale has our Whole Whale University. Uh, we really specialize in helping teams learn all the skills that I mentioned. So things like the Google Ad Grant, search engine optimization, online fundraising. I mentioned that we're going to be launching a new online fundraising course very soon. So I think those types of sort of on-demand courses and resources are really valuable to teams that are trying to sort of learn. Uh, and each of those are sort of individual videos that people can kind of click through step by step and really skill up uh, in detail sort of each of the things uh, and the skills that we mentioned. Uh, there's also a lot of really wonderful native platform training programs. Uh, so we love the Google Analytics uh, and Google Ad Grant certification programs directly through Google. Uh, we also really like the Facebook Blueprint courses uh, if you're looking at advertising on the platform and really thinking more about that from a fundraising standpoint, they can be really valuable. 
another great resource we talked about SEO. So um, Moz, M-O-Z, uh, is a really great resource. They have a ton of both free and paid uh, courses and training programs to learn some of those like kind of key SEO skills that we mentioned. So there's a lot of really great stuff out there. Um, also, you know, today online webinars and podcasts like these are exploding. Uh, so really trying to find different opportunities and different media that you can follow along to see and learn um, new skills through, through those things as well. And we also also have a whole well podcast ourselves. So if you want to hear more from our team uh, where we talk about these topics and also discuss with experts um, in specific case studies, you can go check that out too. Podcasts are free, folks. <laughs> um, so this, this you can find this podcast ever, anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, just the THE Nonprofit Exchange. You can go to that URL, thenonprofitexchange.org. And on there, there's the link to get the podcast, Stitcher or iTunes is what we have on there. Um, so here's my last question, and I've got to do a sponsor. I want, I want to do a sponsor moment, tell people about some of the good folks that support us. And then I'll come back to you for a closing challenge or tip or thought for, to leave people with today. So um, I'm, I'm really glad that you like the questions. That's good for your job. Um, so, so what can I measure to see if, if this is, you know, the, 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 um, the buzz out there is half of the money you spend for marketing is wasted, but you don't know which half it is. But I think on digital marketing, you can track what's effective. Mm -hmm. so how do we, is, is it only in analytics or are there other ways to track what's working and what's not working? Yeah, I mean, it's all mainly through analytics. So you're only as, your, your ability to know what's working is only as good as your analytics configuration. We actually have an, on, like an email course around analytics that'll send you know, quick tips and notes and stuff directly to your inbox if you wanna sort of follow that along and pick up some of the basics and fundamentals there. But it really is about making sure you have that foundation in place. Um, I talked about Google Analytics, that's kind of key. We use that as the source of truth across all platforms. But you can also look at native platform analytics as well. If you're using a program, email program like MailChimp, understanding sort of which types of emails are you sending out that actually have the highest open and click-through rates, what subject lines are driving the highest open rates, and really just identifying some of those key insights um, that can help inform new tests and new things for you to try. Is there a frequency issue? Sometimes people say they get too, I, I know I get too many emails from some people. So <laughs> how do you figure out when's enough and when's enough, when is too much and what's enough? Yeah, and that's kind of a multi-part answer question. Uh, but there really, there's not, it's really hard to do too much um, because at that point people will just ignore your emails. And so obviously the key metric you'll want to look at there is open rates. And if you're sort of increasing your frequency too much to the point where your open rates are declining or your unsubscribes are declining, you don't want to do that. Uh, but that threshold seems to be pretty tested at a pretty high volume um, for most organizations, chances are you're not gonna see too much of an impact there. So uh, certainly wouldn't be sending more than one email a day. Um, although for some organizations, as it comes down to kind of key end of year giving moments like Giving Tuesday, um, you know, that might make sense for, you know, one-off uh, day or day of giving, um, those types of things. So I wouldn't say never do that, uh, but it's not something you would want to do 365 days of the year where you're sending three emails a day. Uh, but you can certainly probably for most organizations increase the volume um, and chances are that will lead to increased engagement. Okay. And I know I have to get one more than one email 
for me to fully be engaged with it. I, I might click on and look at it, then I click on it again and it's changed a little bit. And then I think, hmm, I missed that part. So we really can't assume people are gonna get it all in just one reading. So let me talk about one of our great sponsors, then we'll come back to you for a closing thought or challenge. Um, our sponsor today is EZ Card. That's letter E, letter Z, and it's EZ. And um, if you're looking at this on video, or if you go to the website, you'll see an image. It's easy. We have the whole Center Vision Leadership Foundation on your smartphone. Now you see this long image, but it's just what shows up on your phone. And actually on the phone, I've got a button to push. I can call, how people can call me. They can send a text, they can send an email, or they can do the website. And then this is one way I stay in touch with my supporters and my tribes. And so we have on here tabs for the different things we do. If we look at not performance, uh, performance magazine, there's a tab for that. And you can actually click on the magazine and look at the magazine on your phone. And then the nonprofit exchange. Well, look at look at there's there's Megan, so there's there's today's episode of the nonprofit exchange, and so people can um, see everything we're doing. It's an online community for community builders, and it's the, our way to keep people connected in relationship. But this is for nonprofit leaders and clergy. Those of us who are so isolated, it's a peer to peer conversation. And so let me give you the number. You can get this on your phone right now. If you open a text program and you send a text to 64600, it's five digits, 64600. Put that in the number and the message, Send a, put in LDR, letters LDR. You send LDR to 64600 and you'll get a reply and you push the blue link and voila, you've got this on your phone and we're always connected. And I will stay in touch with you and I will send you texts and let you know when there's something really special going on. So you've subscribed um, and we're always in touch and I will keep you, keep you, um, keep you informed. So easy card and also you can get your own easy card so you can communicate with your board and your donors and your committee chairs and all of those. So Bob Hopkins says, uh, thank, thank you a lot. You're very incompetent. This is a man who's a consummate uh, fundraising professional and author of Philanthropy Misunderstood. So Megan, what do you wanna leave people with? And thank you for a great interview. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess leaving you with, there's always more to learn. So I do encourage you to check out our website where we have tons and tons of written resources, courses, podcast content, pretty much any on every topic that we talked about uh, from a digital fundraising standpoint. So if you wanna learn on one of these topics, please go check that out um, and let us know if it's helpful. All right, there's a communication form so you can be in touch and I assume you get right back to people and let them know you're interested. So uh, Megan Unholt, thank you for sharing such great information today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, it was fun. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.